0: Hello, welcome to Tales of the Pale. This is Terrence Smith. I've been doing this now for seven podcasts, and I'm starting to actually feel comfortable with it. This week, I want to share with you um, a scene from The Souls of Witches because part of the book, actually the majority of the book, happens around Yule. And since we're in the holiday season, I thought I would share with you a depiction um, from... One of the ceremonies that um, many witches participate in. Now, here's a disclaimer. This is a depiction of the transfer of power between the Oak King and Lord Holly. This time of year, it's all about the solstice, the longest night of the year, um, and the return of the sun. The day after this day after Yule. So some covens and some witches reverse this and it is instead of the Oak King, uh, giving up power to his brother, the, uh, Holly Lord, it's reversed. I have always thought it is better this way. So that's how I wrote it in the book. Now, none of this is written in stone. Not every coven does this ceremony but this is a legend this is a myth that is part of uh, witch lore Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Witches are one of the things in this series that I actually treat um, as close to how they actually are in real life. Everything else is all fiction. The uh, you know the The demigods, the gods, the werewolves, and all that, I admit there's no such thing. But with witches, witches are a little different. And I enjoy showing magic as mundane as it may seem in these books, as uh, authentically as possible. Okay, so this actually comes from chapter 13. Uh, This is the evening and a procession toward a clearing where the transfer of power and the the pageantry is all played out. So from the, the Souls of Witches, chapter 13. And I'm reading from my proof book, so you're also going to hear the pages turning. It was late afternoon, and the sun was sinking quickly behind the hilly horizon, casting shadows across the landscape. The leaves were too deep under Rowan's boots to offer any sound as she walked. The air had gone from nippy to decidedly cold, and she was thankful for the hooded woolen cloak she wore. She should have grabbed some gloves, Rowan thought, as she kept pace behind Trent. The metal handle of the unlit candle lantern she carried was cold in her hands. Even after the closing of the ceremony, when the lantern was lit, there would be no warmth from the flame. Dressed in all his finery, Trent looked every inch a woodland Santa Claus. He might have been a character out of a Christmas book, except for the sword strapped to his hip. The rest of the coven followed Rowan in a solemn procession of silent witnesses to tonight's events. They were celebrating a story each of them knew and loved, a sacred time they had come to mark and honor, of two brothers and a transfer of power from one to the other, as nature itself moved from the deep darkness of winter into a new fragile light. When the procession finally approached the clearing, Trent slowed, then stopped. Rowan halted beside him. No one spoke. They all knew their part they were to play. Destiny, who'd unexpectedly arrived at the farmhouse a day early, took her place on the other side of the holly lord. Her face, like Rowan's, was hidden by the deep hood of her cloak. Helen had already made this trek a few minutes ahead of the rest of the coven to formally greet the Oak King. Despite the fading light, Helen's figure in white robes and cloak was easily to discern. She stood next to a seated figure whose back was to them all. After Trent's misguided warning and Jasmine's unsolicited input, Rowan had to admit she was a little curious about the stranger who'd hooked up with so many of Helen's coven. The seated Oak King, who was just as silent as the rest of them, wore a brown cloak that Rowan knew had been embroidered with falling leaves and shades of yellow, orange, and burgundy. His regal crown was a mixture of antler horns and dried oak leaves. A large raven was perched atop a single stout branch, lashed to the backrest of the makeshift throne. It was the same throne she and Jasmine had decorated earlier in the day weaving as best they could twigs, sticks, leaves, and dying vines onto the throne's temporary frame for tonight's theatrics. The coven's procession had purposely entered the circle from the north. It was Rowan's responsibility to hold this position for the duration of the ceremony, to honor their element of earth. As Sarah brushed past Rowan's shoulder, a pack of coyotes began to bay somewhere in the distance. Their yelps and moonsong added ambiance. It also gave Sarah's measured clockwise progression along the perimeter of the clearing circle a feel of gravitas as her totem animal's vocal tribute heralded her steps. When she settled into her her eastern position, the coyotes fell silent for the guardian of air. Castor had slowly trailed behind Sarah, his footfalls following her exact track. His free hand grazed her cloak as he moved steadily onward to take up his southern watch for the element of fire. And then it was Jasmine's turn. An owl hooted in the distance as nature itself seemed to note her steady tread, her cloak flowing over the fallen leaves like a black river to stand at the circle's western point to anchor the element of water. Only when all movement had ceased did Helen raise her voice and announce for all to hear, Lord Holly comes. On cue, Trent moved toward the center of the field, the sound of his fur-cuffed boots cushioned by deeply bent grass. Destiny waited a few heartbeats and then followed Trent. Her black-cloaked figure carried the Oak King's sword in one hand and her own unlit lantern in the other. Halfway to the circle's center, the two diverged. Lord Holly moving left and the other right. Destiny took her position beside the Oak King's throne, just opposite Helen's snow-white form. When Trent passed by Helen, the Oak King's voice rang out, "'Brother, why have you come?' Rowan's heart stumbled. She knew that voice. In a booming reply, Lord Holly announced, "'Can you feel the change that is upon us, Oak King?' The nights are long and cold once again. I have come to claim my right to sit on the throne. The raven squawked a loud protest as the oak king rose slowly to his feet. Off to Rowan's left, a stray deer paused among the trees, its gaze drawn by the movement. Lord Holly, do you come prepared for battle, then? For no change can be manifested without strife and struggle. Before his brother could reply, the oak king shrugged off his kingly robe. It pooled at his feet. He was bare from the waist up and looked neither old nor failing. Not at all like the past actors Helen had asked to play the part. Rowan held her breath, her heart racing, her mouth going dry. It's him. The hidden doe suddenly bolted into the opposite direction, and for a second Rowan could feel the doe's fear as it dashed away. Hi, brother, I am. Trent drew his blade from the scabbard at his waist and took a step back so that the weapons could be brandished without harming the witnesses. With a graceful slowness, the oak king removed his crown and reverently handed it to the high priestess to guard. Even though the light in the clearing was fading, Rowan's eyes followed his every movement. When he turned, she could see that her crow wore yet another mask. This one made entirely of brown leaves, which covered most of his face. But she recognized his voice, his arms and torso, his narrow waist, the way he moved, and her own cheeks heated. She would have recognized him anywhere, no matter his disguise. But now she knew her crow's name was Lars. The Oak King held out a hand to Destiny. She presented the sword's hilt to him and bowed her cloaked head. He grasped the hilt and took a step back to test the weight with a practiced swing. Rowan's eyes hungrily followed his every movement. How could he of all people be here at Helen's? Was it for her? Rowan's heart asked. Or, mind replied, was she just another conquest? "'So be it then, brother,' he growled, striding forward to meet Lord Holly's challenge. The battle itself was staged, of course, choreographed much like a play. Rowan knew this, but it didn't prevent her from gasping when Trent's first swing nicked Lars's forearm. Nor did it stop her mouth from going dry when Lars struck back hard, swinging his blade as if born to it. For several moments, the duel itself seemed real. But eventually, the ferocity of the contest ebbed, and in a practice move worthy of any Shakespearean drama, the Oak King was defeated and fell dramatically to the ground. When the Oak King did not rise, the high priestess knelt and kissed the defeated brother on the lips, lips Rowan remembered all too well. Helen then dutifully crowned the Oak King with a wreath of cedar, rosemary, and holly sprigs. May you reign until the summer solstice, Holly King, Helen pronounced. Rowan's gaze remained glued to Lars, who lay still unmoving on the ground. She wondered if tonight would be a beginning or an ending for them. Had she imagined their connection? Would she discover that Samhain had been nothing more than another sex sexcapade for him? Unhurriedly, each of the coven members approached the new king to kiss his cheek before moving on to Helen, who lighted their lanterns as a symbol of the sun's return. From the priestess, they received an acorn to protect until the sun's light could awaken it in the spring. Once done, they were all supposed to walk back to the farmhouse for an evening of games and, of course, dinner. Throughout this simple but touching closing ceremony, the Oak Lord remained still. Destiny covered his torso with a discarded robe to keep him from freezing. Then she, too, departed with her lit lantern and acorn. The raven had chuckled off and on during the process, perched atop the fallen brother's chest. But to his credit, Lars had stayed in character despite the raven's misplaced laughter and the chilly ground. Rowan began to dread her journey to the center of the field. Being the first to arrive, she, as the element of Earth, would be the last to approach the newly crowned Holly King. Dusk had long given way to night, and the glow of Helen's own candle was the only illumination besides the moon. As Rowan approached, Helen's candle cast an intimate circle of light around the four of them. Rowan respectfully kissed Trent, as a blessing from the element she represented, and then stepped close to Helen to have her lantern lit and accept the precious acorn she was to guard through the remaining cold months. Protect Lord Oak until the warming of the sun, Helen intoned for the fifth time, handing Rowan the acorn. Just as she started to to light the lantern, the raven called out in a funny little voice, Sweetie Watts! This outburst and the almost violent thrashing of wings drew the attention of Helen, Trent, and Rowan. Helen glared down at the bird. The holly King coughed and cleared his throat to suppress a chuckle. Cringing, Rowan ignored the disruption as best she could. While Helen lit the lantern, Rowan glanced down at Lars. She couldn't help herself. Despite the mask and near darkness, she could feel him. That same alluring pool she had experienced Samhain night. And then we're going to leave it there. The Souls of Witches is book four in this Legends of the Pale series. Of course, all these books are standalone uh, paranormal romance. You can read them in any order. I am going to produce one more podcast before Christmas. Uh, no matter what holiday you celebrate this time of year, please let it be a merry one. I will see you uh, then again next year. As always, thank you for spending time with me at Tales of the Pale.